uh, that's the guideline, and they live it up. Excuse me, they leave it up to the individual states to make their own determination about how they will apply those guidelines. California thus far is electing, uh, not statewide, but I, I, I will. It, I guess it still remains to be seen if Governor Newsom will allow it to be determined by individual school districts relative to their uh, regional outbreaks. But right now, California is saying they're still going to ask teachers and students to wear masks in class. It has everything to do with the amount of social distancing that is going to be possible when schools reopen in the fall. Some of us will be going back in August. Some of us will be returning in September. And by that time, especially by September, Labor Day and after, the strain of coronavirus is already morphing into what is uh, this, this Delta strain, this Delta variant. And so as more and more people become vaccinated, it's going to create additional challenges as to how uh, vigorously we're going to adhere to those guidelines. So why do I go into all that? Because I am not an epidemiologist. But what I'm saying is that it has wreaked havoc on our students and families in the world of education and in the field of school psychology because what it's done, it's forced us to reimagine the instructional model. And so most of our districts in California were on a distance learning model and learning from home. And even after guidelines were loosened and schools were adopting this hybrid model so that parents could choose for themselves as to whether or not they want their kids to come back on campus in a limited model for maybe a few hours a day, a couple times a week, or just keep them home entirely to just ride this thing out. A lot of our families elected to do that while some uh, did choose to allow their kids to come back on campus because the impact, and again, I'm going to try not to be too long-winded, the reason why some of our parents elected to let some of their kids come back on campus because, was because it was taking such an emotional toll on the students. We're not designed to be isolated. We're not designed to be um, quarantined, if you will. You know, life is about people and experiences and connecting. And if you are deprived of that opportunity, there are certain unhealthy patterns that could emerge during that time, especially if you don't have a sense of the, the safety net that the school system can provide. Because if you're having a tough time and you're having a lot of questions about your day-to-day um, experiences and how you're perceiving them, most of the time throughout the day, you can go visit the counseling center and find somebody like me to help you get through those really tough moments. Absent that availability, our students turn inward. Some of them became a little bit more suicidal. Some of them became uh, deeper into their sense of social awkwardness. And so uh, I'll, I'll try to cut it right there because I want to give you a chance to ask me some follow-ups if you like. But I'll say while that did exist, concurrently for a select few of our families, some of our students actually thrived during that time period because for those that didn't like being on campus anyway due to bullying, due to bullying or um, very difficult uh, gender relationships between the opposite sex, for example, and popularity and gossip and rumors that may start first on social media and then spill out onto campus, a lot of those issues weren't there for those students anymore. So their grades and performance actually went up during COVID. Wow. So I'll say there was a myriad of experiences. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see what will happen as we persist further into the reopening of schools again in fall 2021. 
Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's very enlightening. Rome, let me ask you something uh, that uh, you may be able to clarify for our listeners. You are a uh, psychologist, and then on the other hand, we have psychiatrists. Can you just briefly uh, explain the difference uh, between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Oh, sure. The field of psychology involves the study of emotions and its impact on learning. So I'm what's called a school psychologist or an educational psychologist. So we work in school systems, and sometimes we can work in hospitals if some of our students are hospitalized. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. psychologists, educational psychologists, school psychologists, school psychologists are credentialed in the state of California, and they're all across the country, and there's a very vast shortage of school psychologists right now. But what we do is we conduct assessments for learning disabilities. We diagnose, or excuse me, we assess for um, emotional disturbances and challenges. We look into the impact of attention deficits on the ability to learn and focus and concentrate. And we provide what's called educationally related mental health services counseling for those that have really acute emotional needs that are having an adverse impact on learning. Psychiatrists, on the other hand, are doctors. Psychiatrists prescribe medicine. Psychiatrists monitor their prescriptions and make sure that the prescriptions are at the right dosage level so that it doesn't uh, deter a student from being able to focus. Sometimes it can have an effect in the, the reverse if the medication is too strong. And that happens quite a lot with our students because they're still growing, their bodies are developing. So psychiatry is medicine and doctors where they prescribe pills. Psychologists assess and examine the impact of emotions, behavior on learning. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that was very that was very good, Rome. Uh, helped to clarify my mind a little bit. Um, so, on on a day to day basis, what do you see as some of the um, more prevalent um, uh, things that's going on uh, with students uh, in terms of their challenges? Most of the time. It's pretty across the board. I've worked in school districts that were predominantly Hispanic, African-American, predominantly Caucasian. And there's a, I I mean, I've been in it so long and long enough now to really honestly, honestly be able to say from Malibu to Compton to Inglewood to Folsom (laughs) to Sacramento to Fairfield to Vallejo, a kid is a kid is a kid is a kid. You're going to find some beautiful people amongst every uh, various strain of demographic that I just laid out. And I'll say across the board, one of the main things that our kids are facing, no matter where they are, is they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be put on the spot. And they're trying to find ways to themselves into a very competitive society in which they're realizing, especially if they're at the high school level and they're going to be facing the world in a real way shortly, they're trying to figure out how they themselves will fit into this highly competitive society to where they see the economy is stretched, we got COVID going on, and hopefully we're coming out of that. 
but they are really trying to find themselves and they have a lot of insecurity, some of them, and they're just seeking a soft place to land for the most part. So we have a duty in my field to make sure that we avail ourselves to students like that so that they can get some of those questions answered and get some of the support that they need. But I'll say across the board, most of our students are experiencing uh, those couple of things. Oh, okay, okay. Well, um, it's it's so it's so interesting. Um, when I grew up, there was no such thing as a, a school psychologist, or maybe there was, but not in my school district. So, absolutely uh, interesting uh, uh, to know that that is those services are being provided in some schools today. Let me tell you, um, you're not wrong because when I was growing up, I had no idea that this career existed. And if you don't need one, you'll never know that they're there, right? So if right. somebody is aware of the school psychologist, it's usually a reason for that. It's usually those students are one or two, perhaps three or four grade levels behind, and so it comes to the attention of the student study team or the student success team. And the team sit down, which consists of a psychologist, a counselor, teachers, an administrator, and we figure out what is going on and what is getting in the way of this child learning. And in those meetings, a school psychologist is very much involved. And if someone is having suicidal ideations, you need a psychologist to do the risk assessment to determine if that child needs to be hospitalized. So, again, if you've never experienced emotional trauma like that on a school campus, you might not ever know that a school psychologist is there. But I guarantee you uh, it's a good thing that you didn't know. But I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say they've always been there. But if you didn't need one, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> well, I, did, I didn't grow up in uh, urban California, Rome. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. There what, may were have you out of state? Like, huh? Were you in a different state in the United States? Yeah, I, was, I, yeah, I, I grew up in uh, rural Alabama, not urban Alabama. <laughs> oh, Oh, okay. So it might have so, been a school counselor who was, you know, probably contracted to do, to do the same thing, or a marriage and family therapist or a social worker. Uh, or across the state, what I do, psychology, sometimes it's called a psychometrician because they're strictly devoted to measurement and testing and assessment. So it could could be any one of those different titles, but some variation of someone providing emotional and trauma support was available even in your state of Alabama. Okay. Now you say that uh, there is a shortage of school psychologists. So if someone oh, wants yeah. to uh, be a school psychologist, for example, what path should they take? Oh, good question. There is a profound shortage. And there's a mayor's race that just wrapped up in the state of New York City. Eric Adams is the latest. Uh, he's going to be the mayor. They just had a ranked choice election on the East Coast. And one of the contestants that was running for it was an attorney named Maya Wiley. She did not win. Um, also in that race was Catherine Garcia. She's actually the cousin of Agent Colson, who uh, played uh, – what's his name? J Clark Gregg is his real name, but he played Agent Coulson in the Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame, Infinity War. That's his cousin, Catherine Garcia. She just tried to become the mayor of New York City, but she lost in the race. I think she came in second or third with Maya Wiley, 
the attorney that I'm about to talk about, and Eric Adams, who's the former police officer in chief who won that race. But Maya Wiley is famous for saying in her advocacy of uh, reimagining or re (laughs) – and I don't want to go into the politics of it, but talking about defunding the police and what she's really talking about is reimagining what policing looks like because school psychologists work at a ratio. In an ideal setting, it's about 1 to 500, but commonly – You don't have that ratio because some high school campuses can have upwards of 3,000 students. So commonly you need at least two on a given campus. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the the current ratio is one to 750. I I can't even actually recall what the number is. But we don't, we haven't, my point is that we haven't met that threshold. And it it reached the level of the presidency because even President Joe Biden during one of his uh, debates or during one of his town halls before the election last year, he was talking about the supreme shortage of school psychologists. So to answer your questions, because, again, I tend to get long-winded, so I want to answer your question directly. If you want to become a school psychologist, please look into it. Please look into it because we need you, especially if you're male, especially if you're African-American, especially if you're Hispanic, even if you're Hmong, okay, because the most – the second biggest immigration group to this country are actually Asians, you know, and believe it or not, we have, you know, people who look like you and I, Jansen, immigrating to this country. So there is a need for people to service these students if they're transitioning from one country to another and coming into the United States and they may not be up to speed on learning. Well, Yes, they're going to be placed into English as a a second language class, but they're also going to need other support to help with that very difficult adjustment period, in which case a psychologist might be called in to offer support. So if you want to consider this field, you definitely need to take some courses in psychology. After you graduate high school, and presumably if you're on a high school campus that offers some kind of uh, introductory psychology course, definitely take it. Okay? You need a bachelor's degree and you need a master's degree in school psychology, and the actual school psychology certification is a certificate. It's a credential. And once you achieve that, you're considered credentialed by the state of California, and your name is registered with the CTC, the California Teacher Commission, on credentialing. And so it's a four-year process to get a bachelor's, then another three years, which includes an internship that could be paid or unpaid, but you need that time out in the field so that you can conduct some assessments and counseling under the supervision of an experienced psychologist who's been in the job for at least three years or more. So it is a time commitment, but I strongly encourage people to look into it. I have been mentoring psychologists for the last six or seven years, and I'm proud to say, Mr. Jansen, I've turned out some great ones. And so anybody interested in this field, Please uh, ask some questions at your local school, talk to your school counselor, and definitely talk to your college advisor so they can start routing you to some of those course loads that you're going to need. All right, and you say that you're going to need a master's degree in school psychology. That's correct. So the master's, that's correct. The master's in, it's, it's a master's of science, and the actual ability to practice school psychology is a credential. So once you finish that graduate program, you will be credentialed in school psychology. Now, there's other forms of psychology, and we'll talk about that for another show, but for school psychology, you need those two specifications for California. Okay, okay that's good to know. Let me just say, 
that uh, if anyone is listening right now, you're listening to the uh, Council of Elders Call-In Talk-In Show. We're talking with Mr. Rome DeVace, who is a school psychologist. If you have any questions or comments, you can press the number one on your phone, and uh, we will let you ask a question or make a comment. Brooks, we have have someone holding. Okay, we have someone holding. Go ahead, uh, caller. You're listening to the Council of Elders show with Jackson Brooks. Stand by. Good morning, caller. You're live on the Council of Elders show. Please state your name, where you're calling from. When you ask your question or make your comment, please mute your phone. Caller 9091, live on the Council of Elders show. Caller 9091. Oh, I heard somebody. I heard someone's voice, a woman's voice. Carla, ask your question. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Good morning. It's me, Kyra Christian. Good morning. What's up, Ms. Christian? I'm not so sure if you guys can hear me. I I had a question for Rome. Um, I'm well. I wanted to know, Rome, what are some of the challenges that you're facing um, as a clinician right now? Well, getting the schools back open and being able to continue to provide the services that these children and families need. We've been doing it via distance learning, and that is better than nothing, but there's nothing like the in-person immediacy of being able to avail ourselves in a traditional um, open and comprehensive school-based campus. And so once we are able to get the students back in front of us on campus, we'll have a better assessment so that we can answer your question a little bit more clear because at this point, honestly, we are unable to um, articulate exactly the depth of adjustment that they've just undergone by spending a year plus um, in a you know, quickly imagined uh, instructional model Uh, via distance learning, and we don't know the extent of how far they're going to be behind academically, how uh, emotionally impacted they have been, and what's it going to be like. Is it going to be a a period of of culture shock to be back on campus with all these students now that we've been, you know, forced to stay home for so long? What's it going to be like once we're all finally gathered back together? How many of us are vaccinated and how many of us have abstained from that you know, in favor of seeing what the larger outcomes first are going to be. So we got to see what people's comfort levels are. We're going to see if they're going to be able to adhere to the rules that are going to be instituted at the individual site level, how many behavioral challenges will emerge as a, you know, a product of that. So uh, to answer your question, uh, we don't know entirely, but it's going to be something that I'm sure will be uh, soon to come once we're actually finally back on a full-time campus on a full-time daily schedule. Thank you. Thank you for shedding some of the light on the barriers. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your call, Christian. Miss Christian, Kyra Christian, Mr. Brooks, she's the bomb. You know how talented that sister is. We love her. 
I do know I do know Kara and uh Kara is a uh wonderful young lady and I'm sure she's gonna go extremely far. So no thank you for calling Kara. Yes, thank you, okay. Kyra. All right, Jeff. Bye. Bye bye. Now, Kyra, if you could, could mute your phone uh, at this point. Okay, so, Mr. Rome, we're talking about bridging the gap between elders and youth, proper guidance, how to get along better with kids and grandkids, and what seeds can we plant in youth for generational uplift? And so with that, mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot of uh, people listening, parents, grandparents. How should we attempt to try to bridge the gap between young mm-hmm. people, older people, so that we can collaborate and cooperate and move yes. forward? Any Absolutely. ideas on that? Yes. Um at times, Mr. Brooks, good brother Jansen, it's, that's the challenge of a lifetime, trying to figure out and how to understand youth. Before we actually started this bo- uh, broadcast, we were talking about uh, music from the 70s and how uh, when you go and surf the Internet and you look at different YouTube channels and you see the rap music of today, you find it challenging sometimes to be able to relate, to be able to understand, to be able to get it, especially when you come from the era that you come from and that I love the, the 70s. You're just like, I mean, I'm, I come from that era, area too. I'm in my early 50s, so I love that era. And so it's hard not to appreciate the, the depth of the, the, the disconnect that sometimes exists between the generations. And it can be the source of a considerable amount of strife as well, especially if you are doing a show called The Council of Elders where you feel like you have a definite invested interest in making some of these challenges irrelevant. And so, yeah, I think there are some things that we can keep in mind as we attempt to engage the youth. Uh, Before I go into it, uh, I made a couple of bullet points, so again, that I wouldn't become too long-winded, and I'll tell you why I'm doing that in a second, too. But, Mr. Brooks, what is it it about this issue that is so pressing for you? What, What makes this so important for the Council of Elders? And then I'll talk more about it. Well, what makes it so so important is that we want to be able to um, uh, support, assist, give guidance to, but we don't want to uh, sound preachy or sound uh, high and mighty. Uh, but we do are interested in um, uh, starting from the current generation helping them to uh, have certain seeds planted in them so that they can pass those same seeds on to their kids and grandkids, positive seeds, you know. Absolutely. Uh, so absolutely. that's kind of where yeah. we're coming from. Absolutely. Well, the positive seeds. I remember a group by Cuba Gooding Sr., the father of Cuba Gooding Jr. He was in a group called The Main Ingredient. They had a nice album called Black Seeds Keep On Growing. And there's something about investing into that to where you may not say, or excuse me, you may not see an immediate payoff or a return, but you know those seeds are planted. And, you know, they say all the time, and I think I may have even heard Kyra Christian say this once, they tried to bury us, but they didn't realize that we were seeds. Hello, come on, somebody. But 
that's a very interesting response, and that's why I appreciate it, and I leapt at this opportunity to, to join you on the Council of Elders because I can really appreciate that that difficulty sometimes, almost that struggle, but it, it's not impossible to overcome, Mr. Brooks and audience. And I, I want to just, if, if you heard what Mr. Brooks just said a moment ago and just having that concern that there is a growing divide at times between the generations, what is it that's going to create um, the opportunity or the atmosphere for sharing and honesty, support, um, encouragement, and being able to water the roots of our youth so that they can feel empowered and then strengthened to grow, prosper, thrive, and take some chances and believe in themselves? Now, that sounds great in theory, but how do you actually make it happen? How do you actually create the atmosphere? How do you create the environment or safety, okay, because a lot of it comes down to safety. Now, here's the thing with that, Mr. Brooks and audience, because sometimes, you know, as men, okay, there's a lot of pressures pressing down on men to be men, or I should say males to become men. So at times there's a fine line between being supportive and turning someone into a snowflake, What's up, everybody? This is Cy Smith. And Sean Carter-Peterson. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School. With your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. The, the best internet radio station on the planet. Woo! <laughs> this is Angel on Sax, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. Best internet radio on the planet. I'm a Haitian, I'm Jamaican, I'm forsaken, I'm mistaken identity I'm Mega Ever's memory, I'm my father's good and bad tendencies I'm a man that loves music, 
but don't love the industry. Don't like when fake folk grin at me. I love public enemy. I love the messages my love be sending me. Chicago taste, so I love being finicky. Love calling him cuzzo even if he ain't kin to me. Love drinking wine while my homie drink Hennessy. I love poetry when it becomes infinity. Because 
I think that yeah. we as elders sometimes have an imposter syndrome, and it's like, who mm-hmm. am I to be trying to tell young people, I'm not Dr. Phil, I'm not Absolutely. Judge Judy, what do I know? Right. So. Right. Right. It, it, that's literally what it is. It's feeling like you're a fraud and feeling like you don't really have the credentials or the the um, the credibility to speak with authority like you're claiming to be. So it's always this constant fear that you're going to be found out to be a fraud. And so if you feel like you're not, you know, presenting yourself with the bona fide goods, that you're certified, verified, and true in what you're saying, you're going to feel like you really don't have any business getting in somebody else's business. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that's and a tough I, I one to overcome. That, I think a lot of people uh, uh, have that. And like I tell people, if you've been married for 30 years, you don't necessarily mm. need a uh, marriage counseling degree to tell somebody, to give somebody some advice about, you know, happy, being happily right. married. That can go That's for, right. you know, experience or a lot of things. But anyway, Rome, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And you can't always uh, live vicariously through the experience of others. Experience isn't the only teacher, it's not the best teacher, but it's not the only teacher as well. But you can benefit from someone else's lived experiences if you just take the time to listen and listen with your heart and listen to uh, learn rather than listen to respond. But imposter syndrome, I experienced that personally. Real quick, short story. I'm going to try to make this real quick and short. I had somebody say directly to me, she was a Christian sister, and I was with a friend, it was like three of us, and she said to me, you know, look, I read my Bible, and that psychology stuff you do, let me tell you, I would never come and see somebody like you for a problem that I'm having. And I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, whatever problem I'm having, I'm going to my Bible and my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was like, wow, well, this is a test of my imposter syndrome. She's calling me out and, you know, challenging me as if I'm not legit in what I do and what I know. And so I was just checking for my own sense of um, the the dog that'll scream is the one that got hit by the rock, right? And so (laughs) she was kind of S-testing me to see if I was really going to respond to that and become upset. But, okay, I fired back and said, well, you know, you just saved me a whole lot of work because it kind of brings me to another point that I have on the bullet list. You have to know your limits when you're trying to connect with someone that is a resistant audience or someone that's Mm -hmm. testing or questioning your credibility. You have to know your limits and always limit yourself to work with only the coalition of the willing. You work Mm. with the coalition of the willing because if you're trying to twist somebody's arm, if you're trying to force feed something where you know it's good vegetables and good nutrients of life's lessons that you've acquired over your time here on this earth, but they're not ready for it. Well, they're not ready for it from you. And so all that says, it ain't personal with me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's about where they are. And so all that means is somebody else is going to meet them where they are and it's okay. I don't have to take that one personally. It's like you saved me a whole lot of trouble. I don't want to overcome your resistance because somebody else is going to be there to bless you anyway. So go on. Do you, sis, because I've already been certified, verified, and true. I already know my name is listed on the CTC website. I ain't got nothing to prove to you. 
But rather than to get hostile and defensive about it, which is a natural expected reaction, I ain't going front. I did feel that. It's like, how dare she? Who the heck does she think she is? It's like, I'm, I'm wrong. It's like, I know I know what I'm doing. And I know I can fix you. You know what I'm saying? What the heck is this? That's her loss. But rather than be like that, I just say, look, know my limits and respect it. Because if I don't, I run into this other bullet point called hubris, Mr. Brooks. The hubris is thinking too much of myself and thinking only I can fix it. We had a guy in office of the United States of this country who said before he was elected, this economy is in shambles and only I can fix it. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Only I can fix it. Only I can fix it. None of y'all. We got millions of people that have been doing this for centuries, and all of a sudden this one person shows up and says, only I can fix it. Now, what the heck is wrong with something like that? Can you believe somebody would actually have the audacity and the hubris to think that only they can fix it? So what am I to do if somebody comes into my office, Mr. Brooks, and they're having some suicidal ideations? And I'm an experienced psychologist. I know exactly what to do in a situation like that. But what happens if I do everything right and buy the book and that student still kills themselves? That's happened to me at least a couple of times in my career. So does that mean I failed? Or does it mean that somebody just made an unfortunate decision on their life experiences at that time? Listen to you. Absolutely. And so if I take it personal, like I should have been the one, if only I had stepped up, if I if only I had done this, if only if I had followed up, if only, if only, if only well, that puts a lot of burden on me unnecessarily because let's just say worst-case scenario that I did drop the ball, okay? Mental health and psychology, it's a team sport, okay? So let's say Rome just screwed up and this kid is gone because I screwed up and dropped the ball. Well, I sent the kid to the hospital. I got the kid help. I got the kid's 24-hour supervision, 72-hour hold, 51-50. I did everything right. The risk assessment was flawless. I identified the need. And so I got him the help that he needed. He was gone for 45 days. What am I to do if he found his grandfather's gun? So what I'm saying all that to say, it's important not to have too much hubris and thinking that only you can reach someone because not everybody is going to be open to you on that day. But you know what? It's okay. Make sure you remember that it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not one-on-one. This is a community. This is a village. The Council of Elders reminds me, this is a village. You know, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Right. So it's very important that we we remember that and not not take on more than we need to. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yep. Right, right, right. So your first first bullet point was imposter syndrome. The next one was know your limits. And then the third one was uh, hubris. Yes. Get that right? Um, yes. Mr. Brooks, yes. this is Oscar here. We have uh, 20 minutes of show time. This is uh, Oscar, your broadcast engineer. I'm reminding you that you're listening to the Council of Elders show on Blog Talk Radio. You can, you can get this show anytime you want to by going up to the website, Blog Talk Radio. You can dial into this show on every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock Pacific time. The phone number is 
1611. If you would like to make a comment, ask a question of our special guest, uh, Mr. Rome, please press 1 on your phone. Go ahead and continue. Okay, so, uh, Rome, uh, I believe you had four bullet points. Was there another one? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, that, I kind of lumped them all together. So the fourth one was, uh, and this is in no particular order, but uh, basically listen more than you speak and try not to become too long-winded like I just did because here's the thing. I don't know what it was like for uh, you, Mr. Brooks, and Mr. Oscar, the good brother here, doing our engineering, but do you remember what it was like when you got to a point in your life where you realized that you have a lot to share and yes, that you have a lot of it? You remember what that what was that moment like when you suddenly realized that explaining something in a bullet point seemed to require a lot more time than it used to for you? <laughs> what do you remember about discovering that? Well, I mean, you have to try to sum it up, but you have to let people know that there is a lot more than we could talk about. <laughs> uh-huh. just, it's just uh-huh. like this interview, yeah. Rome. There's a lot more that, that we, we, we could talk about, but we only have an hour which is why we need to invite you back on this show at some point. But anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing but yeah, that happened to me is uh, that as I got older, I realized mm-hmm. that there was uh, a, a lot of depth to my character. I found out that yeah. um, I had gone through a lot that many people hadn't. And yes. so I would want to share some of my experiences so that they don't uh, right. want to make the same pitfalls that I made. That's right. That's right. Yes, I can I don't so have, relate to that. I don't have the book learning that you do, but I do have mm-hmm. the, I went to the school of hard knocks, and I got enough Absolutely. knocks on my head that I can show you. And I told Absolutely. my kids the same thing as they were growing up. I just don't want you to mm-hmm. make the same mistakes. Make every mistake in the world. Just don't make the ones I made. Right. So important. So important, Mr. Oscar. Thank you for sharing that. You too, Mr. Brooks, because it is important to – See, here's the thing, and and this is where all of this kind of comes full circle with imposter syndrome because it's like, why should I listen to you? I mean, why, who are you? And when people, you know, and it's not just people. I mean, society just tells us it it values you. It, it, It tends to quarantine our elders. It tends to marginalize elders, and they forget that, you know, there's an old, um, I'm not sure where the saying came from, but, you know, we talk about 70s music, Mr. Brooks, and the great, late, great Wawa Watson, a funk guitar player for Motown, Temptations, Four Tops, uh, The Undisputed Truth, Ray Parker Jr., I mean, all these cats. But he famously, uh, he did a song with his sister named Reese, who's been on my show, Philadelphia Soul Singer. And she said a parable that she found when he uh, passed away a couple years ago, when an elder dies, a library burns down a library burns down. So what that says, ladies and gentlemen, is that the wealth and wisdom contained and embodied within our elders is a vast, vast treasure that we would be remiss if we didn't take full advantage of it. And so the important thing, though, and, you know, this is my last bullet point, and I'm going to turn it back to you, Mr. Brooks, is, you know what I'm saying? And so be able to, to listen more than you speak, and try not to become too long-winded. Because like Mr. Oscar just said, ladies and gentlemen, he has a lot to share. He may not uh, he may not have gone to the same school that I have, but so what? 
I mean, does that mean he has less credibility and authority to speak on these issues that pertain to life and, um, you know, self-existentialism, for the lack of a better term? I mean, he's been through something, so he has something of value to offer to you. But it's about quality over quantity, too. Because like Mr. Brooks just said, it's like, hey, we, there's a lot more to this, so we might have to come back to this at another time, but I'm just letting you know. Go ahead and continue, but there might be more to this rabbit hole than what I'm going into right now, but I'm stopping because I want to hear what you have to say. So be aware of that because sometimes, you know, you notice, uh, Mr. Brooks, I have to catch myself because I, I, I'm just coming into this awareness that I, I talk a lot now and that I need – uh, more time than I used to to elaborate on a point. And so I'm also a DJ, so you have to read the room. You have to read the crowd and make sure that they're ready for it. And you have to know when to pivot. You have to know when to back off. And you have to know when to zip it and just be quiet and listen. You listen to learn. You listen to validate. You don't listen to discredit. You listen to validate. You look for points of entry into what they're saying so that you can offer support and insight and understanding and you don't judge, okay? One thing with our young folks, they don't want you to judge them. They don't want you to be too harsh on them. Now, again, again, here I go with my long-windedness. Again, it's a fine line sometimes, and I can't tell you by the book, there are no guaranteed outcomes, okay? So don't worry about doing it perfect. You're not, don't worry about that. From authenticity, from a spirit of being genuinely interested in someone, and you genuinely want to learn from them, they'll appreciate that, and they'll open up. But be darn sure to zip it. Know when to be quiet and just listen without judgment, because that's one way the youth, they will be a captive audience, and you'll have them eating out of your hand. If they, once they discover that you're listening and that you care, they will open up to you. But don't be shy about giving them some nuggets as well. If they're sharing their vulnerability, you share some of yours too. It's like, oh, man, I hate when I went through that. Oh, man, Excellent. I remember when I went through that. It sucked. I hated that. Oh, my God, Excellent. how are you dealing with that? That sucked. I hate it when that happened to me. And I hate when I feel like that because I know better. I kick myself when I go through stuff like that, man. Man, I know what you're going through. That sucked, man. Excellent point, Rome. Excellent point. I want I want to make I want to put a uh, a footnote to that because mm-hmm. nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you uh, if you empathize and sympathize and listen to someone, that's the beginning of a relationship. And relationship is what that is all about. They can't hear Absolutely. you until they have a relationship with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was trying to think of that quote, Mr. Oscar. It was like it was eluding me because, again, I got a little long-winded. It was there in the back of my head, but that's you, you nailed it. That's exactly the one I had in mind as I was saying it. They don't know – say it again. They don't know you – they won't care until – what? say it again. No one, no one cares how much you know, no matter how yeah. many degrees you got behind your name. Exactly. Until they know how much you care. Know how much you care. That's it. That's it. And I'm telling you, once they right, realize right. that you do care, they will be a captive audience, Mr. Brooks. Yes. Right, right. Rome, I had, I had a, a, another question for you uh, based on uh, mm-hmm. a question that you asked me. And uh, it was, uh, you asked me, what was my concerns about that? And so that's a good opening <laughs> question. And yes. can you tell us about that and other yeah. opening questions 
that that we might use or that you use in your work? Yeah, can you set that? Help me set that up a little bit for the audience, uh, because before we went on the air, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Oscar, Mr. Brooks, and I were kind of just chopping it up about how we were going to approach this hour right here, right? So you asked me about the topic we were going to discuss, and I asked you. Uh, you wrote it down. I said, what is it that makes you concerned about that? Is is that what I kind of said? Right, right. And that, that was a good question. And Okay, uh, so here, here, here's my fault. What what was it about that that made it a good question for you in that moment? How did it make you feel? <laughs> uh, well, it just made me feel that uh, I had to open up to you and explain to you, you know, why I thought that, uh, what was my concern? Absolutely. And just you wanted Absolutely. me to elaborate so you could fully understand yes. uh, what I was asking and where I was coming from. That's exactly it. You nailed it. I always avoid, as much as I can, Mr. Brooks, Mr. Oscar, and audience, I never ask why. I didn't ask you why are you concerned about that, why is that your topic. As soon as you say why, you put somebody on the defensive. Now, you're not doing it on purpose because your objective is to get them to open up and to share so that you can find out where they're coming from so you can find some intersectional points to, to sort of, you know, mirror them and, you know, be uh, a source of support for them. But one way to immediately just destroy and dismantle all pretense of having an interest genuinely of finding out where they're coming from without judgment, the surefire way to ruin that is to ask them why. They, why they said what they said, why they feel that way. I never asked why. And the reason why I asked the question in that way, Mr. Brooks, was because I wanted you to truly tell me. And I didn't want you to feel defensive. I didn't feel like you had to justify it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want, you, I didn't want to put you in a position where you had to defend where you were coming from. I just wanted you to explain and give me the information because without the information, I would have no basis from which to elaborate on a response to you. Because if I ask you why you say that, now you got to defend it. So right, right, right. On, yeah, you don't want to put anybody on the defensive. We, we do it all the time. It's not intentional. So that's what I'm saying. There's no you know, exact formula for this, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you're going to blow it, but just be aware that people will open up if, like, like what Mr. Oscar just said with that beautiful quote, people will know that you care when you ask them in a way that honors them, that respects where they're coming from, that honors their struggle. It may not be a struggle for you because you done figured it out a long time ago. So you figured because you got over that hurdle a long time ago so that they they shouldn't be tripping on this right now. But no, if you're an empathetic council of elder type of cat, you want people to share their struggle with you because you can empathize with that. In some cases, like what Mr. Oscar is talking about, you can sympathize because you done been through some of that stuff too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wrong. Let, let me ask you this. So that, that was one question. It's a very valuable question. Any other uh, – we only got less than 10 minutes. Any other uh, questions – that you ask that elicits uh, a, a response that helps? Yeah. Um, nothing immediately jumps to mind as, I, as I'm given that question, okay. but the, the whole idea is to make sure, just avoid asking why. I mean, I would yeah. say that okay. if you can avoid that at all costs, <laughs> you'll get so much further because people genuinely want help. 
They want to be understood and they want to be taken seriously. And again, they want you to understand that they, they want to have the, the, the validity of their struggle. And so you don't want to rob them of that. You don't want to deprive them of that. And you want to empower them by letting them know and conveying that you're going to be supportive. Okay. If you're going to be a mentor, okay, think of yourself as a mentor. I, I guess if you think of your questions in terms of a mentor, mentorship is for life. Okay. So that, that, that's on the professional work environment or the children, your daughters, your sons, your grandkids. It's for life. It's a lifelong commitment, meaning I don't care what you're going through, young man, young woman, young queen, young king, but you see this here wall? We're going to get you over that wall if we got to take you by the hand and pull you over that wall with us. We're going to get you there because yes. we got you. Okay, so everything that we're doing, we're investing in you because we care. And so everything that we ask from that framework, Mr. Brooks, is going to be built around you're going to create an environment Wall, of safety. Yes, sir. And we have five minutes of show time left. Uh, I don't see anyone else that has any questions right now, but I want you to be aware that uh, uh, the busy broadcast minutes are waning, so please uh, prepare to close it up for this edition, and we look forward to having you back. It's been an honor. It has been an absolute honor. Thank you for letting me to to uh, be long-winded with you two gentlemen, and uh, I hope it's been helpful. Oh yes, it has been uh, a helpful, Rome, uh, uh, to uh, to talk to you, and I will change my um, uh, attitude about <clears throat> asking questions. And I ask people, well, if they uh, want to know something or make a statement, I would say, what's your concerns about that? Rather than ask them why you said why did you say that? <laughs> there you go, and I'm curious to see what kind of response you get in return. Okay, so uh, uh, do you uh, you say you had a, a show? Um, uh, is it uh, online? Can people listen to it uh, on on the internet on your radio show? Yep. Yes, they can. Every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, my podcast is called Psychotic Bump School, P-S-Y-C-H-O-T-I-C. Bump, like things that go bump in the night. School, like education, Psychotic Bump School. It's an old P-Funk song by Bootsy Collins. Uh, you find it on radio station KCWG, which stands for Keeping Covenant with God. And I have it on Podomatic. You can find it on Apple iTunes. Just type in Psychotic Bump School, DJ Rome, and you will find the show. And we talk about all oh, this stuff, okay. mental health, education, entertainment, music, funk, uh, politics. We t we cover it all. So definitely type in Psychotic Bump School in your Apple podcast, and you will find me there. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I remember talking to you a couple of days ago. I went into a bike shop um, a few days ago, and there was a young man, uh, about 30-year-old uh, white guy, listening to um, – uh, George Clinton, and I'm yes, like, sir. and he was playing it on his uh, on his uh, speakers in his shop, and I was like, kind of impressed uh, because I it, it was totally kind of shocked me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I guess that's uh, generational music and something that's classic, and it, it, it can appeal to all all across the board. Timeless. Uh... I'm going to say this in 
10 seconds or less. Timely. George Clinton just got his Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame recently. Okay? It's timeless. So if you can find a way to connect authentically with the youth, whether it be music, sports, any common or shared interest, exploit that opportunity and you'll have a friend for life. Hey everybody, this is Buddy Hearts, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. You go where the love is. You go where the love is and you're going to question it. And wherever the love is, you go there because people will knock themselves out trying to make it in L.A., but... Somebody said, I, I was interviewing this brother in London, and he said, you know, oftentimes everybody knows it's like to get famous in Detroit, you got to leave Detroit. To get famous in New York, you got to leave New York. To get famous in L.A., sometimes you got to leave L.A. You go where the love is, and oh. it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you just brought something back. <laughs> yeah, man. Go ahead. I had two uh, two members of P-Funk tell me that. Same mm. um, uh I was having a similar conversation with uh, Clip Clipadelic. Clip Payne? Yeah, Clip Payne. Yes, sir. And he asked me, he's like, he said, let me ask you some chaos. Did you, um, you ever, did you ever just like, you know, leave, leave Bay Area? Like, just leave. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like travel somewhere and came back. I mean, like, have you ever left and lived somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Like just left. I said, nah. He said, oh, okay. Well, that, that's what it is right there, man. Ooh. You leave. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? You were supposed to leave. Ooh. And it, and it hit me. I was like, hmm. And I thought about that. Ooh. I did that song with George. I, I ended up coming back. And, hmm. and, that, and, and that's when, you know, I, I should have stayed in LA. Ooh, but I, 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 I was told by my boss, you know, cause I had this, I had the record stores, um, turntables and mixer with me. Right. And they was mm-hmm. only supposed to be a three day trip. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, it took us, we sat around, you know, talking with George for two days and Man. the third day, I think we, the, the, the studio thing happened, but then, mm-hmm. He wanted more. He wanted, oh man, you know, we we gonna have to do some more, you know, this, this and that. And mm. I'm hearing all kind of, you know, this is that. And I'm going like, oh man, you know, I can, I gotta get. And that's what I'm saying. I really, it was happening so fast. I, I'm like, man, I, well, you know, I just got the car. I, I gotta bring the equipment back. You know, I gotta because mm. they up there with no, they they can't play music in the store, right? So they like, <laughs> uh, and by the fourth day, they was like. Man, so are, are you coming back with the equipment? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you know, George want to keep me down here for a little longer. And they, well, man, you know, you gonna have to, mm. you have to bring the equipment back because if you don't, this the ball, this this my, my manager telling me, you know, mm. if you don't, man, I'm I'm gonna have to, I'm just gonna have to tell them that you know you you got the equipment and you abandoned your job, mm. and. Then, then what? And I said, "Well, well, damn, man, right. <laughs> you know, right?" You know, so then George is like, well, well, "Well, man, what you need? You need this right here. We we can get you that." 
I said, yeah, man, but you don't, you don't understand, man. I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna have my job, man. They, they talking about this and this and that, and 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 he was like, I still ain't put it together yet, right? And, and he's like, well, man, you know, we can get you this. We can just rent this right here, the same stuff. I said, yeah. And he said, he said, well, I said, well, man, but it's not just that. It's like I'm, I'm gonna lose my job, right? And he said, well, so you work for me now. <laughs> How about that? And I was, I was, wow. I was still spooked, man. My, right. My dumb, my dumb self went back. Wow. Thinking I can go back. I said, well, let me. I'll go back and tie this. You know, give them their stuff, and and I can, you know, tie up some loose ends back home. And then I, you know, man, that's all good after that. And, blah, blah, blah. and he, you know, he kind of was, all right. And they did didn't you know. It didn't then then that's when I you know it was like it's too late then because they went to Detroit to finish up some stuff and then I started getting sent tapes of what they were doing with the song and then that's when I started realizing oh yeah I should have stayed because I would have more input out this is and that mm-hmm. and then they did a Saturday Night Live performance mm. uh, where they did fries got that shake on there and and uh, man and it was just like. I was supposed to be here. Hmm. I was. I've been kicking myself ever since for that. Hmm. For that you know, just going like, damn. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, Dennis Chambers was there. Eddie Hazel, Mike Hampton, Amphetamine, David David Spratley. Uh, uh, of course, you know George Gary Scheider and Jessica Cleves. Ooh. Blackbird McKnight. Oh, that was the band. Wow. And I'm, I'm going like, I'm sitting there watching this show like, man, if I was staying my butt in LA, I'd be up there right now with them. Mm. Adding, adding the scratching to, you know, because that's what, uh, yeah. So mm. that's what I'm saying about what. It, some of the things I've had to live with mm-hmm. and just have to face it every time I'm around them. Mm. And like, you know, like spent years trying to figure out how do I redeem myself from that? You know, and mm. it's, it's just like, <sighs> well, I think uh, you make a very good point. Um, let, let me stay focused here. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. Uh, we're, we're on overtime with uh, the good brother, DJ Chaos. Uh, we're talking about life now, y'all. Uh, legendary selector out of the Bay Area. Uh, just, a, just a groovy, cool, funky brother, man. We just chopping it up about P-Funk, Digital Underground, Greg Jacobs, AKA Shock G, Humpty Hump. May he rest in paradise. We just talking some uh, life stuff. And we're talking about redemption and uh, sort of getting our spirit back. You know what I'm saying? Just getting our getting our soul back to a certain extent. Because there was a time, Chaos, I had a chance to go work with uh, Scotty Brothers Records. Because right. there, I had done a gig at a record label called Dance-A-Lot. And Candyman, the rapper who had a monster hit record called Knockin' Boots, he was making a bit of a comeback 
and uh, he was signed to this small independent label under IRS records called Dance A Lot. And they were working as a uh, single. And the, the, the owner of the label, um, I remember his name, his name was Dave, David Mishery. Um, during the course of that, uh, they signed this, this uh, rapper by the name of 12 Gage yeah. out of uh, South Carolina, I think is where he was from. And they had this song called Donkey Butt. <laughs> okay? Donkey Butt. And at that time, people were getting big off the tag team, the 95 South, whoop, there it is. And everybody wow. was trying to get on that train, right? So they signed this cat named 12 Gage, and he had this song named Donkey Butt. And he played it for me, uh, you know, at the record label. And I listened to it, and I'm like, hmm, you know, it's not really my thing, but... If that's what they gonna rock with, um, I'm at this label, so I guess I'll fool with it. And then a couple of days later, Chaos, they said, hey, uh, we just got a deal with Scotty Brothers and we're gonna be down with uh, Michael Concepcion over there. And if that name sounds familiar, that's the cat that uh, oversaw, we're all in the same gang, that your friend Shock G, he appeared in that video with, uh, right. you know, you know um, Easy e Dre, NWA, you know, he was, he's the godfather of that mm. stuff. Famously shot in a wheelchair. Um, but he had money because he had invested his money in real estate. It's funny, I ended up uh, doing some stuff with his daughter at radio station KCRW. Worked with her for a long time before I found out that that was her father. But mm. th this is this is my story. I, when he said, hey, we want you to come over to Scotty Brothers and work uh, the 12 gauge record with us. I was like, wow, you know, all right, I'm honored that you even think that much of me, you know? And so I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, chaos. And I was just thinking about, um, I was just thinking about who I am. It's like, am I that guy? You know what I'm saying? Am I that dude? Right. And I, I came to terms with it. I said, no, I'm, you know, thank you. But, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm cool, you know? I think I'm cool. And so I was out of a job, basically, because they went over to Scotty Brothers, and guess what? Donkey Butt, it was a one-hit wonder. You never heard from that brother 12 Gauge again. But that song, it soared up the charts. Right. It was a big hit. Big hit record. Big hit record. Now, I'm not talking about top 10 big hit record, like it's a classic, and people would just say, oh, snap, it's like uh, Knee Deep, Funk of Death, and it's not like that. But for the time that it came out, it did very well. And for a small independent label, it put them on the map big time. Right. right. And that's all they were looking for, you know, to get that one good one to plant their flag with. And 12 gauge was it. And, you know, the, the, okay. So I'm thinking, did I miss out on something, you know, and what was it about me that didn't take advantage of that? Because I never got another shot like that in terms of, you know, I had always wanted to work for a major record label. That was as close as I got. And mm. what if I had gone over there with them, what would have been different about uh, my story? And am I kicking myself over it, Chaos? Not really, because here's the deal. Something that I figured out is like, man, you know, there are, remember we were talking about the underground a little while ago? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an underground cat, man. It's like, I don't need validation from hit records. You know what I'm saying? I don't need that. 
I just want to rock it the way I rock it, yo. It's like, I don't need all that. Y'all, that's important to y'all. But yo, I, I'm, I just want to play my funk records. I want to rock parties. And then y'all just leave me alone, cat, for real. You know, uh, uh, other than that, I'm not tripping, yo. I'm not tripping. Just leave me alone. I'm happy. I'm good, you know. And don't come, you know, if I don't send for you, don't come for me. Because I'm not tripping on anything else, you know. Don't think you're going to get over on me. Because otherwise, we can take it outside. Right. I can show you that these hands work if, if that's where you're coming from. But I'm good, bro. And so just as much as I would say that to someone else, I got to say that to myself. It's like I said no to that because I was saying yes to myself. It's like right. everything that they did, good for them. But, yo, I, I produce underground soul parties in L.A. They're renowned. They're loved. They're appreciated. They're revered. They mean something, you know, quite nostalgic to a certain segment of Southern California called the Black Soulful Underground Movement. And I'm right in the thick of it, man. I'm proud of that, you know, and it may not be what it may not be the sexy story that some people would attribute to being in the music industry. But there's layers to this. It's like I'm an underground cat and I love it because I could do it my way. I don't have to wait for somebody to put me on. I'm on already. I put myself on, you know? Right. And so I can call my own shots. The rhythm it takes to dance to what we have to live through. Yep. When you are living through all of this madness, mm. it puts a certain attitude and that comes out in your instrument. Yes, sir. That's being captured on tape and it gets produced right. Mm. And that translates onto that record that's out there that gets sold. Mm. You know, the public, they don't know what went into that. Right. They just know they feel it a certain way. It feel. You, and then it. when you, you know, you're, say you're working with these cats and then you starting to see the real of what's going on. Mm. And you may find yourself in a situation that may have been going on back when you were young listening to them mm -hmm. and now you're caught up in the middle of something right and you start asking yourself you know um would it be better if i was just back out there in the audience enjoying the show mm -hmm. than to be here and mm -hmm. witnessing things that's none of my business mm -hmm. and you know <laughs> you may have to take sides or you may have to uh you know what 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 happens when the lion gets you know the, the mane starts you know you puff up mm -hmm. you're you gonna have to maybe step somebody may be trying to step to you and now you're gonna have to be like oh wow mm. you know i grew up listening to this mm -hmm. you know and and you know so Again, that's, that's another one of them things that I know Mr. Jacobs had to deal with. Mm. That, you know, and you know that, that it sounds cliche, but it's it's so true is that um in a lot of a lot of ways it's really not good to work with your idols. Ooh. That you grew up, you know, really had them at this level and then when you like i said when you see this human the human side of of it it because i've witnessed people 
that have, you know, some people don't take it too well. Mm. And they see that human side of the person they were, you know, you know, were, were um, amazed at or, or grew up listening to. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've witnessed some people lose lose it. You know, like they they couldn't handle seeing their idol in a human situation. That's right. It was kind of it was kind of devastating. It was kind of like you know, like oh, man, I thought I would fall apart. You know, so I thought I would, you know, but I had oh, I must have handled that pretty well because I'm still. <laughs> here you know i'm still in the mix with them you know whatever and that didn't deter me from you know it didn't deflate my my uh bubble so to speak Mm -hmm. because you know i i was never one of those people that was like starstruck let's see that part and i think that's part of what attracts you to some of you know the the George Clintons or the, the you know the Shock Jews or whatever, because they're they're not looking to be around people that are like that. Mm. At least some people aren't. Mm-hmm. Well, some some celebrities, yeah, they I guess they get off on that, but mm-hmm. the majority of them, they, they're kind of like they you know when they you know you gotta know when to turn that off. Right. You know, and it's like if they're uh. You know, you, you don't want to be around somebody that's like super fan all mm-hmm. the you know, like just all the time, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you're like, no, and you 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 know, you're gonna vibe with the person that's you know, they're they're more in control of themselves or they're more uh you know, like like that's the thing with shock, I man. He was just so laid back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you knew he wasn't no punk though. See, you know See? what I'm saying. He was about something. Yes. Yes. And but he just was so. Uh, man, you know, I mean, sometimes when you when you use that that term uh, with uh, or another male, some people take it the wrong way. But he was soft spoken. You know what I'm saying? Like he just. Mm-hmm just that laid back dude man and Mm -hmm. and but he but he he'll get with you though exactly you know and it's it's and and i know that's that brooklyn tampa (laughs) (laughs) in in him you know what i'm saying right and see that i didn't know that part (laughs) see how (laughs) when i met him he had just got out here you know what i'm saying okay so he was kind of like getting to know people in, in the you know in the bay area mm-hmm. and that was the other thing and it's the same thing with shorty b you know he he was came out here from dc so he really wasn't no joke mm. you know but he vibed with us like mm-hmm. you know, and you know shorty went on to, to you know be uh two shorts uh band band leader for for a minute oh wow you know, and and that's what I'm saying, man. It's like, and and recently he, uh, man, it was a trip when 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 the uh, Black Panther movie came out, and at the beginning, you know, when they show like Oakland 1992 on the screen, right. yep, 
I, I was like, oh, wow, Oakland for real? You know, because yeah, I wasn't it's... expecting that. Right. I mean, I know it was directed by, you know, Ryan Cougar because he's mm-hmm. from the, you know, he's from Oak, the O. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, but I didn't put it together. And then the two short song that Shorty, that Shorty was on that, you know, came on. And I was like, oh, that's the, I was, I was around when they was making that. That's what I'm saying. And it was just, it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody in the theater knew that. Wow. And, and and that's what I'm saying. It's like this. It's mm-hmm. like it's like man, you know, like, and then you get that feeling real quick, like, man, if I was, you know, uh, if it was like, man, if it was the song I was working on him with, you know, it would have been, you know, mm-hmm. but that leaves because you're going like, yeah, but see, the thing is, I knew that cat, and I was around when they did that. Yes. And yes. I know what was going on. I know because we was working with Shorty B and that's how he started working with Digital Underground was shocking us. Mm-hmm. And from there, he, he you know, uh, he started working with Too Short. Mm-hmm. And, and even Shorty B, you know, he he will say that, yeah, you know, when I first got out here, you know, when I, when I ran and I met you guys, that's what, you know, kind of got me focused to do this to, to just mm. you know this what I knew I was going to this is what I wanted this is what I was going to be doing was mm. I was going doing this music mm-hmm. mm. you know and that's you know that that's like I said in, in, the, in the first part that that's why I wouldn't really you know I wouldn't change any of my experiences for anything because exactly um, just to just to be around those cats man mm-hmm. and they must have seen some kind of vibe in me to even yes. allow me to be around you see what i'm saying i do and, I and and that that's where it's like you're like well what is it about me that they tripping on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't know i think you know well I that's mean, for I, them to figure out <laughs> well they already know it because exactly that's they, they they get with you or allow you in their space and then and that's what I'm saying. It's like I mean sometimes I go to <laughs> we used to go places like before the P Funk show or something and the the people at the venue or whatever they just let us walk in, you know, because they 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 already looking at all them that's that's P Funk right there. Mm-hmm. We only and we thinking like we gotta stand there and wait for the band or something like that. And it's like Sometimes they come up, oh, you know, the, the rooms is down that way. So they telling us where to go. Wow. And it was, it's like, you know, and, and that's where it's like the 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 Clippadelics and the Shorty B's and the Shock G's and everybody's like, yeah, man, see, that's the thing. You got to recognize that, man. Know mm-hmm. who you are. Know who you are. No, man. You don't, man. Ooh. You don't know who you are somebody else is going to define you for you exactly and exactly. then that's it and yeah there it is and that's it right there that's it right there because look man i'm a square and i'm proud of it I, I don't drink i don't smoke i don't get high i'm not into all that man it's like i'm married and you know i'm look man I, you, you talk about Clip, it's like, I think I told you off the air that I introduced uh, George Clinton in the Sea Conspiracy. I was right on stage next to Clip. He don't know it because, you know, 
Uh, I was on stage with, next to Gary Scheider. He don't know it, or he didn't know him. May he rest in peace, you know? Right. But, you know, something about, you're right. It's like when you vibe a certain way, you do gravitate toward people like that, like like-minded vibrations, you know? And so right. that's probably how I got close to those cats, even though they don't know that was one of the best nights of my life. Um, but it, it makes sense because of how I roll. But you, you just landed on some, you know, as we wrapping this up, know who you are, because if you don't, I'm gonna just quote you. Chaos is like, <laughs> no, they will define you if you don't define you. If you don't know how to define yourself, know who you are, know your limits and know what you stand for so you don't fall for everything you know what i'm saying and just just trust man just trust that god don't make no mistakes yo god don't make no mistakes god rejection sometimes is god's protection you know it's all good so many times yeah man i've heard that because i you know when i was kicking myself over there oh man i should have stayed well you know maybe if you would have stayed you know Mm mm-hmm what do you think where would you be now what, do you think you would have came out of that right then when i look at some of the things i've seen or, or situations i've been in it's like yeah you know what i probably wouldn't be standing here today there you go staying in la because that was happening when i was like like i said it took me a year and a half to realize i i was in i worked with george mm-hmm. took a year and a half for it to sink in the record came out and it still didn't sink in didn't sink in wow and so it's like now, what do you think would have happened if I would, if I'd have mm-hmm. been running around with them and it ain't sank in yet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. Right. It was. Yeah. It's it's like you know, and like I said about shock, it's like maybe he seen that and was mm-hmm. like, well, that's why you know it didn't happen for you when it did. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. And we we got that out the way, and and now you know I'm chaos here. Right. See what you can do with this. Right. You know. Right. You know, and 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 that's what I'm saying. And then other people didn't real. They didn't know that was that. They still tripping on man. Chaos still tripping on that Humpty Dance thing. I'm not sure you still tripping on. You are. Right. I got the tapes to this day. that he handed to me. Wow. You know, and, and I'm, it, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm really looking, I'm trying to dig this. He gave me one of these songs, man, that sounds like it should have been on the Future Rhythm album. Mm. It has that instrumentation, the, the equipment, the sounds he had on that album. That's what this, this song he gave me. It was instrumental and he wanted, he said this, I want you to do something with this. And to this day, he mentioned it may be used with the loonies, but mm. I haven't heard the song yet. Mm. So I'm tripping like, man, I gotta find this. It's mm. in my it's in my stash here somewhere. I man, I, you know, I gotta go through all these tapes to find it. Mm-hmm. But mm. when I do, it's like if that song has not been done yet, mm-hmm. then it's like wow did he was that meant for me for me to do was that supposed to be the song that i was going to be on with him hmm. was that you know what i'm saying was that the one he was going okay man it's going to be me and you hmm. 
because I, to this day I haven't heard that track mm-hmm. on anything. So I, I I got some digging to do, and then I got some catalog of all the stuff he produced with people outside of Digital Underground to listen to to find out if that song is on anything. Because if it's not, you know what I'm saying. So it's not. Yeah. That's just the thing. You know, that's part of why you know it's just. You know, I mean, like for like three days, man, I was just, I was just going, damn, shock. Mm. You know, like when I heard what, you know, what happened, it was like, damn, man, mm. what the f, shock, man, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like, man, it just brought back all, it just brought back too much, man. For me, yeah, man. Yeah. What could have happened. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I I just you know what I'm saying, man, I, I cherish every experience I had with that brother. Good or bad. Right. It, right. It's it's always gonna be with me, no matter what. So, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks about anything about whatever happened. Mm. I really don't because it ain't it don't matter. Like I said before, it's three entities that it only matters. Shock mm. myself and the creator. That's right. Those are my memories. Those are my experiences. So it don't matter what nobody else think about. Ashay. Ashay. And so it is. DJ Chaos. Did we get it all in, brother? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> That was that was a therapy session. <laughs> no doubt, man. For you and me both. You and me both. Oh man. God bless you, brother. Oh, man.